Thank you for singing and praying as a body. I'm convinced that it's just a little taste of heaven each Sunday, so thank you. Uh, It is good to worship with you this morning, uh, brothers and sisters. Now, there are just some things in life that you will not normally find. You will not find, students, listen up, you will not find tomorrow morning arriving to class with no teacher there to guide you, discipline you, and instruct you. You will not find employees as you show up to work tomorrow morning that there is no boss or someone to report to. You will not find crazy drivers and lead-foot grandmas. You will not find no police on the roads to keep us accountable. And you will not find, whether watching or engaging in sports this week, you will not find one player on the football, soccer, volleyball team playing while everyone else sits on the sideline. Most of life is designed for us to lean and depend upon others. This is true of marriages, relationships with kids, friends, teachers, mentors, leaders, administrators, and the list goes on. Our world is meant to be a collaborative one. It's been that way from the very beginning. It wasn't good for Adam to be alone. The triune God of the universe has always lived in community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And God has created and designed us in His image to be relational creatures. This is especially true for the genuine faithful follower of Christ. You will not find in the scriptures and the teachings of Jesus the solo Christian life. You will not find independent, self-sufficient, and rogue followers who just do them. And their faith is personal and not shared and lived out and experienced with others. There is no such thing. This is true of suffering as well. Our main point today is simply this. Faithful followers of Christ need others. We need others. Here's how one song puts it. It's one of my and my oldest daughter's favorite. We have great taste, by the way. If we're not together, we'll be lost in the dark, walking on water, falling in faith. I still need you, Father, trusting in this great unknown. I still need you, Mother. Comfort me until we're home. I still need you, sister. Tell the truth and dare to dream. I still need you, brother. Strengthen me and help me to see. We all need each other. These aren't just the lyrics to some song. They are the empirical reality of our life. They're also the clear commands of Scripture and the experience of our man, Job. If you haven't already, I'd ask that you grab a copy of the Scriptures and turn to Job 2 and read with me Job 2, verses 9 through 13. Uh, The Scripture says this. Then his wife said to him, 
Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Now, when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that had come upon him, they each came from his own place. Eliphaz, the Temanites, Bildad, the Shuite, and Zophar, the Namathite, they made an appointment to come to show him sympathy and comfort him. And when they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him. And they raised their voices and wept, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads toward heaven. And they sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights. And no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his suffering was very great. Consider with me first in our passage the taking of turns. Now, we pick right where we left off last week, and we dive back into an interaction between a husband and a wife. If you're unfamiliar with the story or you weren't here last week, Job was the best man of the East, fruitful in faith, family, and wealth. And unknown and unseen to him, there were spiritual realities at work. The Job of story, the, the story of Job, rather, is sometimes so well known, it's easily to actually miss that the book isn't about him at all. The book documents in real time in space how the character of God is questioned and defended. It's actually the character of God, it's the continued theme through the entire book. Whether it's with Satan, a wife, friends with theological speculation, or Job himself, we read in these chapters the nature of God challenged and doubted and misunderstood. And we did read last week that God was being challenged by the accuser. The Satan, his title is. And Job's life became verifiable proof that Satan's claims were false. The accusation, of course, last week was that God's promises and God's work in people's heart was fake. If Job lost his family, his fortune, and his health, well, he would turn on God and prove God to be a liar. But Job's life is used to demonstrate who God is. And we found out that the promises of God are true, and Job's heart had been strengthened. Strengthened to worship in the midst of deep, dark pain. This week, we look again more closely at his interaction with his wife, who is unnamed in the narrative account. And as we read, Job's wife has a different response to their life being thrown upside down. We can forget, because the narrative documents Job's journey, we can forget that this woman, a faithful follower in her own right, has suffered right alongside with her husband. She, too, has lost her family, her ten children. 
She too has lost her fortune and she sees the troubled health of her husband. When tragedy and circumstance strike, it's not uncommon for there to be difficulty and strife in a marriage relationship either, right? Right? It's interesting to note here that historically Christians have been much harder on Job's wife than Jewish tradition and religion. Verse 9 can just as easily be read, not as an outright denial of God, but a wife simply wanting her husband's suffering to end. But look again at Job's response. It's very important. Closely looking at verse 10, he said, You speak as one of the foolish women would speak. He doesn't call her wicked. He calls her foolish and undiscerning of God's ways. Our foolish thinking in life and this woman's foolish thinking here, it's not always directly tied to rebellion outrightly. But more often, our foolish thinking is tied to being a flawed human who is struggling with faith in a difficult moment. We should also be quick to admit that when suffering and circumstance comes in our life, you and I are more prone to respond as Job's wife did than we are to respond as Job did. We may eventually find our way to worship, and perhaps Job's wife did as well. But rarely do we start with worship. We often find ourselves in the midst of circumstance and suffering. We find ourselves asking questions and maybe making foolish assumptions on the character and the sovereignty of God. At least that's often the case with me, and I don't think I'm alone in that. But notice again Job's continued response. He seeks to correct her faulty thinking, and he says, Shall we receive good from God, and shall we not receive evil? Shall we, he says. One writer remarked that this is an extraordinarily gentle response. Job could have said something much harsher. But note again the we in that passage. Job is trying to lead his wife in faithfulness. He's reminding her, we. He's reminding her that they are partners in this life of faith. He's speaking truth to her that they have received good from God and sometimes they will receive evil in this life too. This is the taking of turns. This is why we need each other. In this moment, the wife needs her husband to point her to heavenly truth in the midst of pain. Our guide, Job, has been described multiple times so far in our narrative as a blameless man. An upright man, someone who fears God and turns away from evil. And certainly that character description rings true as he aims to guide his wife in her processing of the events. Job is pointing his wife to God. Here's a question to chew on, though. 
I mean, clearly Job is taking turns. He's, he's pointing his wife to God in a hard moment. Here's a question in Shuan. Job is described as blameless, not sinless. We have only this event to consider. Is it possible that there were times in their life and relationship where the roles were reversed and they took turns? Did Job ever have faulty thinking and his wife had to speak truth into his life? Job, Job, I'm pregnant. I know we're young, but the Lord is faithful. He will help us. Job, I, I, I know the harvest has been difficult this year and we're struggling to make payments. Let's look to God and pray. Job, I know you're worried about our kids. Me too. Commit as a father to pray for them and their hearts continually. Job, Job, have you looked in a mirror? Yes, you've aged. And your beauty is fading. Mine too. I love you. Let's keep growing toward one another into the Lord. That might be a bit of reading between the lines of our interaction and projecting onto their past. But what we know for sure, what is clear in the text, is that Job's wife was struggling with her faith and the providence of God in her life. And her husband, Job, took the turn to faithfully point her to the Lord. Sometimes, my friends, we are playing the role of Job. Often we're playing the role of Job's wife. This is the Christian life. We need each other. When we are weak, we need someone to gently point out our faulty thinking and remind us of Christ Jesus. And when we are strong, we need to press into others and speak truth to them. We take turns. God help us to do that in our relationships this week. But we don't just take turns. We have also in our text the presence of friends. Now, we did read this in verses 11 through 13. Three friends arrive from three different locations to meet their friend and comfort him. There's a few items I think I'd like to point out to us as we look at these friends. First, in verse 11... There at the end of the verse, it says that they came by appointment. I don't know about you, but I make appointments for everything. Google Calendar is my intimate friend. So I make appointments for meetings. I make appointments for lunch because sometimes I forget to eat lunch. So we, we're people who make appointments, but they made an appointment to see their friend. And here's a question. How is it that they were aware of their friend's suffering? How is it that they made an appointment to put their life on hold to help a friend? Now, there's a great deal of intentionality here and a willingness to sacrifice from these friends. Coming from different locations from the east and the surrounding areas, scholars believe that they likely traveled weeks, even months, to get to their friend. Could you imagine putting your life on hold for weeks or months to go find your friend and help them? And it probably was months because Job does say in chapter 7, verse 3, I'm allotted months of emptiness. 
and nights of misery are apportioned to me. So by the time Job's friends arrive and there's dialogue between them, he's been sitting for months. They've traveled months to come to him. And here's the question for us as faithful followers. First, are we aware? Do we have relationships with people in such a way that we know of others' sufferings? Do you know the condition of the heart of the person next to you? Are you aware? There's some intentionality there. But then the follow-up question to that is, do we make appointments? Do we plan intentionally to be inconvenienced and to sacrifice our time and our preferences to simply meet others where they are? I think we can grow in that, Lakewood. And these friends, they didn't just make an appointment on their Google Calendar. They came to show sympathy and comfort. The word sympathy uh, in your text, some of you, you may have a translation that says they showed sympathy and comfort or they came to console and show comfort. And that word sympathy or console is a unique one. The Hebrew word literally means to shake the head or rock the body back and forth. These friends came to jump in and feel and share in the pain of their friend. So they wept. They tore their clothes. They sat in ashes and they rocked back and forth with their friend. Good friends. Good friends, and especially faithful followers of Christ, don't comfort from a distance on Facebook or just send the prayer emoji. That's a good emoji. Good friends, faithful followers of Christ, we get in there with them. We jump into the mess. Now, this doesn't necessarily call for you to tear your clothes and sprinkle dust on your heads, but perhaps we might be more helpful if we were to do that. Are we willing to get messy? That's a good question. Because life is messy. People's suffering is messy. It's snots and tears and real-world stuff. And it's often not convenient or pretty. But when we truly care for others, we won't worry ourselves with the details of messiness. Like these friends here in our passage, we'll jump right in. There's another thing with these friends I'd like to point out. Look again at verse 13. It says, They sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights. The number seven in the scriptures is often used as a perfect number or a number of completion. So they they sat silent on the ground, rocking back and forth in the mess with their friend for the complete number of days. They were there and like, not just there physically, but there. I think I struggle with that. I might be there physically, but mentally, maybe I'm somewhere else. We do that sometimes with suffering friends, too. We show up, we're there, but we're not really there. 
We're thinking about something else. Now, Eliphaz, Bildad, Zophar, and Elihu, who's to come later, these friends get a pretty bad rap when people think about the historical account of Job. And for good reason. They're about to say some things that aren't very helpful and just plain wrong. But here in the beginning, they do what a suffering friend truly needs. They show up. They show up. They offer no words. They sit in silence. They don't quote Romans 8 and tell Job that God works all things for good. They don't share their own personal stories of suffering to make him feel better. And just so you know, when you do that, it often doesn't help anyone feel better. These friends didn't tell Job it's going to be all right. They sat silent and rocked back and forth with their friend. A friend who probably wasn't in the frame of mind in those seven days to engage in any kind of conversation. How could he be? He's literally lost everything. Mind spinning mentally and emotionally. The physical presence The physical presence of these friends was all that was needed. And here's a word of counsel to those of us who seek to intentionally make appointments and jump in to the mess with our friends. The ministry of your presence may speak louder and be more impactful than words. Here's how one writer commented on these verses. Sometimes... When we enter the home of a member of our church who's dying or walk through the door of a hospital and witness the inexplicable sufferings of someone, there is no need to say anything. Our presence is felt. It's enough for us to be there, to hold their hand, to dab their tears, and to join them in weeping. There is much to commend about Job's friend in chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. We look at this scene and just wish we had some duct tape for their mouths, like the, the gorilla glue kind. The sharing in his sorrows, the silence, the tears, it's it's all so beautiful. They should have called it a day or a week to be more accurate. If they had just ridden off into the sunset after seven days of silence, they would have gone down in history as a picture of friendship. Artists would have painted portraits of them. Composers would have written songs about them. You Christians would have named your children after them. Little Bildad. But that wasn't to be the case. They opened their mouths. See, the reality is actions often do speak louder than words. So may the Lord help us to serve and to encourage one another with our presence. Make appointment this week to be inconvenienced and to serve someone. Show up. Lastly, I'd like us to point, uh, I'd like to point us to not just 
the taking of turns in the presence of friends. <laughs> but the fulfillment of Christ, the fulfillment of Jesus, this world, the people in it, even the people closest to us, and the things that we have and the things that we experience, they are ultimately meant to fail us. Every good gift and relationship that God has allowed us to experience is designed to fall short and fail you. Do you know that? There's nothing that God has given you that has the capacity to replace himself in his presence. If it's an intimate relationship or the companionship of friends, a good steak on the grill or a certain balance in your bank account, if those things could bring true happiness and fulfillment, God would not be needed. The taking of turns and the presence of friends is a keen reminder to Job and to you and I this morning that we have a hole in our heart that cannot be filled by the things and people of this life. The comfort, the presence of others ultimately is fulfilled in the person and the work of Jesus Christ on your behalf in the gospel. Unlike Job, we've been given a promise that regardless of the taking of turns with a friend or a spouse, regardless if you have any friends that show up to rock back and forth with you in grief, regardless of all that, Christ is there. Jesus not only took the turn as an innocent sufferer, dying on the cross for the sins of humanity and rise again on the third day. And what that did is that that secured forgiveness and right standing with God. But more than that, in fulfillment of Job's friends, Jesus promises to be a friend to anyone who suffers. Hear his invitation here in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. The Savior would say to you, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The friendship of Christ. Found a helpful quote uh, this week. If you don't have Dane Orland's Gentle and Lowly, repent. Go sell an organ or a car, whatever you need to do, get this book. Here's what here's a good word on the friendship of Christ. God made us for fellowship. For union of heart with other people. Everyone gets lonely, including introverts. But Christ's heart for us means that he will be our never-failing friend. No matter what friends we do or do not enjoy on this earth. Jesus offers us a friendship that gets underneath the pain of our loneliness and suffering. While that pain may not go away, its sting is made fully bearable by the far deeper friendship of Jesus. He walks with us through every moment, 
He knows the pain of being betrayed by a friend, but he will never betray us. He will not even so much as coolly welcome us. That is not who he is. That is not his heart. As his friendship is sweet, so it is constant in all conditions. If other friends fail, as friends may fail, yet this friend will never fail us. If we be not ashamed of him, he will never be ashamed of us. How comfortable would our life be if we could draw out the comfort that this title of friend affords us? It is a comfortable, a fruitful, and eternal friendship. The friendship of Christ is the fulfillment of Job's friendship. And you may need this reminder today, I know I do. No matter your season in life, no matter what you're struggling with, no matter the journey of faith and the suffering that you may find yourself in right now, there is great grace for you in the gospel of Christ. Jesus, the friend of sinners. May God enable us, Lakewood, to find our souls fulfilled and satisfied in Christ. And as he warms our hearts, may we be enabled to take turns. May we be enabled to be the friends and community that people around us truly need. And may we point one another to the truest and most fulfilling companion, the Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful followers of Christ need others. You know this is true. The scriptures make it plain. So would you pray with me that God would help us to do that this week? Father, that is a big prayer request. And really what it calls us to is to be willing to confess that we need help. Sure, we may confess to you in the privacy of our own rooms and hearts and minds that we need help. But we often struggle to take action on that. We often fail to take turns. When we're in help or when we're struggling, do we have the boldness like Job's wife to confess the true thoughts of our hearts? Do we have the compassion like Job to speak truth and remind our friend, that we are with them and partners in this journey of faith. God, do we make ourselves accessible and available to rock back and forth with grief? Do we look to the true friend, Christ, to satisfy the longings of our heart? So, Lord, this week in the life that we have, tomorrow on a Monday morning, Would you help us to not simply confess with our mouths and our lips that we need others, but would we take real action to pursue others, to invite others into our life, and to seek out others who may need our help. Father, we know that this would be honoring to you. We know that this would lift high the name of Christ. We know that this would be a part of fulfilling the great mission that you've given us in Matthew 28 to reproduce faithful followers of Christ. 
Lord, help us to do all these things for your glory and for our joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.